God, we love you. And God, we are here to hear from you this morning. God, none of us came to, to hear from me. Uh, we all came to hear from you. And so, God, I just pray that you would speak through me this morning. God, would the words that come out of my mouth not be just my words, my human words. No one needs those this morning. We all need a word from you. And so, God, I pray that you would speak through me. And the words that I say, would they be your words for your people on your day? God, we're here for you. And if we're not, we're here for nothing. And so, God, I just pray as we dive into Scripture that you would speak and that you would change our hearts and shape our hearts, open our minds, open our hearts to be able to hear from you in very real, tangible ways, God, as we open up your word. God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, we've been talking, uh, we started a series last week uh, about holiness, and we're calling it The Journey. Uh, holiness is, uh, is something that is maybe misunderstood sometimes, it's something that's intimidating sometimes, it's something that uh, can feel imposing sometimes, and, but, but we're going to spend the next, well, four weeks now, including today, talking about holiness and talking about the pursuit of holiness in our lives and talking about the process of holiness. And so what does it mean to pursue holiness? This is kind of what we talked about last week. What does it mean to pursue holiness? Pursuing holiness is really just pursuing God with every part of who we are. Every part of who we are devoted to God, given over to God in pursuit of God in all aspects of life. It's loving God and it's loving others. Our, our theme verse for, uh, for this whole series is based out of 1 Peter. I'll go ahead and read that real quick. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, you don't need to go there with me. We're not going to necessarily camp out here today. But uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13. Lord, therefore, with minds that are alert, and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This pursuit of holiness that we are called to is, is just that. It's something that we are called to. It's not just uh, you... you you ought to be holy. It's be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. Be holy because God is holy. And so last week I told you to pick an area of your life. We talked about some different areas of your life. that I just want you to really think about turning over and just giving over to God and pursuing holiness in this one area for the next month as we've been talking. And I hope that some of you did that. I hope that all of you did that. If you haven't done that, it's not too late. And I told you to, to think about just maybe some different life areas, talking about habits. Is there a habit that you have that is, that is not given over to God? Is there a habit that you have that is, that is basically interrupting your pursuit of holiness to God? Is there a, a spiritual discipline that you need to change or that you need to, to improve on? Is there a spiritual discipline that you need to, to just chase after in your pursuit of holiness? Is there something that's holding you back? from that spiritual discipline? Is it something in your emotions? Is there an emotion that just overtakes you, that, that overwhelms you, that interrupts your pursuit of holiness and your pursuit of God? And I told you to pick just one thing and, let's, and chase that. Any, any area of your life, and not just in those three, but any area of your life. And, and like I said, if there's some of you that, that weren't here last week, I, I want you to still do it. And, and, I want you to do it be, and I want you to be very specific because being specific is very important. In this, in this whole process. When we give our lives to God, when we give our lives to Jesus, we give our whole lives. Not just a piece, not just a part, not just a percentage point. 
But as we give our life to God, how does that look practically? It's one, one step at a time. One day at a time. It's how you get an elephant. One bite at a time. Right? One step. One moment. One day at a time. One behavior. One attitude. One relationship. One change at a time. Sometimes we're hesitant to do this. We're hesitant to, to single one thing out. We're hesitant to say, I want to improve this area. It's a whole lot easier for us to look at our lives from like a 30,000 foot level and say, this is the general vicinity of where I want to improve. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to give this part of my life to God. But as soon as you get specific, your failures become glaringly obvious to you. And that is super uncomfortable. Because none of us like to fail. None of us like to, to think of ourselves as, as failed. Right, but last week I told you to pick one thing. And some of you this week experienced that failure. Right? Some of you, you were, you were thinking about your emotions and you thought, Man, I just want to work on my anger. I'm not going to get angry this week. I'm going I'm to just give my emotional stability, I'm going to give it to God. I'm not going to get angry at the things that I would get angry about. I'm going to give to God. I'm going to pursue holiness in my emotions. And before you left the parking lot, you were angry at something. This is exactly how Satan works. You say, I want to change this, and he's going to just bring it to light every single time. Some of you, some of you decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to focus on a spiritual discipline, and I'm going to read more this week. And you haven't read since Monday. That's just kind of how this stuff goes. Some of you, you were talking about a habit. And you were going to change your language and the way that you speak to other people. And, and if someone had a recorder on you this week, you might be a little bit embarrassed of how you were speaking. Right? You singled this one thing out. And, and even just, I mean, we're in week two of this series. And, and for some of you, there's already a bit of quote-unquote failure in the works. The question I want to answer this week is, what do we do with that? What do we do with this failure? In, in our pursuit of holiness, we will fail. There will be moments in our lives where we fail. In our pursuit of holiness, in our pursuit of God, we will fail. What do we do with our failures? What do we do when we mess up? What do we do with, in, our, in our hearts and in our minds? We want to pursue God. It's like, Paul, I do what I don't want to do. I do and what I do want to do, I don't do. And, and this is kind of how we live. How, what do we do in those moments that we fail? Scripture luckily gives us an answer. If you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, <clears throat> we're going to be there for a little while this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're in one of our pew Bibles on page 819, I want you to turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 8. But 2 Corinthians is a letter to the church in Corinth. There's a town called Corinth. This is a letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, Paul is the one writing this letter. And Paul has written this church many times before. We have one of them in our Bible. You can guess which one it is. We're in 2 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians, right, would be that other one. And so just testing you guys. No one... No one interacted with that at all. This is a great week, all right? So, <clears throat> all right, all right. Uh, so we know that he wrote him a bunch of times. He's probably referring to one of these other letters. We're not sure he's referring to 1 Corinthians, but we know he's referring to one of these other letters that he's written them as he starts to talk in chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 8, and he's talking about this, this letter that he wrote them that he kind of regrets writing a little bit, just a little bit. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter... I do not regret it, 
Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended and were, were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads, leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. And so even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God you should see, yourselves how, see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this we are encouraged." So Paul writes this church in Corinth, and he's writing to them about something going on. We're not sure exactly what it is going on. We're not sure if it's in individual lives or if it's just something that's going on in the church that needs to be corrected. And Paul's mind needs to be corrected. And he writes them, and as it's being delivered, he's, he's kind of regretting that it's being, that it's being sent. Right, we know from later on in 2 Corinthians that Titus is the one that, that delivered this and and Paul is just kind of, have you ever written an email or a text and pushed send and thought, I probably shouldn't have done that. I think Paul has maybe a little bit of that, obviously in a little different way here. He wrote a physical letter, but I think Paul has a little bit of that in here. But then he says, I, I, I don't regret it anymore. I don't regret it anymore because it led to something. It led to Repentance. And we live in a culture today that would really like to kind of just get rid of guilt, just in general. Guilt is just kind of a, a bath. I think the world would be a better place and a more fun place if there were just no guilt. And if I could just do whatever I want, whenever I want, I would just be, it would just be fun. And the Bible reminds us, though, that guilt is a gift from God. Maybe a better way to put that, conviction is a gift from God. It is a gift from, from God. It's an expression of God's grace. It protects us in the same way that pain protects us. Right? There are people in the world who cannot feel pain. It's a, um, it's a physical condition, and I can't remember the name. I had it this morning. <clears throat> but they can't feel pain. And what happens in these people who can't feel pain is they'll end up breaking a finger or breaking a toe or breaking something or tearing a ligament or tearing something in their legs, and, and they just don't know. And so what happens is their lives just get kind of wrecked because their body is just falling apart because they can't feel the warning signs that pain presents. Pain is a warning sign that maybe I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. This is hurting my body. This is hurting me. Guilt, conviction is the same thing. It's a warning sign that maybe, maybe I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. Maybe, maybe this isn't the best thing for me to do. Maybe, maybe, maybe I need to go a different way. Right, guilt, is, guilt is kind of the same thing. It's a warning sign for us. Right, and there's a, there's a name for people who don't feel guilt, psychopaths. Right? They have no guilt, no remorse. But this passage talks about two kinds of guilt, two kinds of conviction, two kinds of, of sorrow, he puts it. But the word there is literally guilt. Two kinds of sorrow. There's godly sorrow, godly guilt, godly conviction, and worldly sorrow, worldly guilt, worldly conviction. 
And really, there's two distinct paths here that, that Paul talks about as he's going through here. The godly kind of conviction, the godly sorrow, the godly guilt leads to life. The worldly guilt, the worldly conviction, the worldly sorrow leads to death and destruction. At least to shame and it destroys people's lives. It's, this, is, this is a huge difference. So how do we respond when we fail? How do we respond when we feel like, like things just aren't going the way I planned on it? Well, we need to repent. And it's in one of these two ways. There's this godly repentance and, and worldly repentance. I want to talk about the difference, and I want to talk about how we respond to when we fail. Godly, godly sorrow, godly guilt, godly conviction leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, which leads to life. And I like that he adds here, it leads to no regrets. No regrets. Repentance, what, what is repentance? Repentance isn't, I want to, uh, repentance isn't just feeling regret for something or feeling regret for the consequences of something. I'm sorry I got caught, right? Repentance isn't just saying sorry, right? It's not, Hayden, don't, don't jump on your sister. Don't do a cannonball on your sister when she's under the water. You need to say sorry. Sorry, Ashley. It's okay, Hayden. Then 10 seconds later, Hayden's out of the pool, Ashley's under the water, and there's a cannonball right on top of Ashley again, right? We can be sorry and have no, no intent on changing. Right? This, is not, this is not what repentance is. Repentance isn't that. Repentance isn't just a commitment to, to kind of grit your teeth and get through it. Repentance is honestly embracing the reality of our failure. All of us fail. Repentance is honestly embracing that reality, being willing to change, to turn, to turn from this behavior, and recognizing our total, complete dependence on God to change. See, none of us can change. We just sang a song to... Don't be conformed to the renewing, sorry, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be renewed by the transforming of your mind. Who does the transforming of your mind? It's not us. It's God that does that transforming. Right? When we repent, we, we realize, like, hey, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot live the life that God is calling me to live on my own. So when we repent and we, we turn from our behavior, we recognize that we are completely dependent on God to do this. And it leads us closer to God. This is what godly repentance is all about. And this is why Paul no longer regrets sending this letter is because this, this regret, this sorrow, this guilt that he has caused this group has led to something. It has led to repentance, which leads to life, which leads them to a closer relationship with God, which was Paul's whole point in writing the letter in the first place. This is the kind of repentance that we're called to when we fail, when we, when we pursue holiness and we fail, and you will fail, the, the, the answer is we need this kind of repentance. We need the kind of repentance that leads to life and leads to, to God and to a closer relationship with Him. Not the kind of repentance that's just going to, we don't want to just sit in our sin and sit in, sit in, our, in our failures. I know we just spent 10 weeks in the Psalms, but I want to I go back to a Psalm this morning, Psalm 32, because I think it reminds us of a few things. If you want to go there, Psalm 32, you're more than welcome to join me there. I think it reminds us of a few things. Psalm 32, I'm just going to read this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. 
When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they may not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those Surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. I think just these, even just these first five verses here tell us a lot about what we're talking about this morning. That there's a difference between this worldly sorrow, this worldly guilt that causes us to just kind of sit in it and kind of just sit in our failure and understand like, it just leads to destruction. There, there is that. This, this passage reminds us that, this, that a power of unconfessed sin is real. Right? Verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent, when I wasn't confessing my sins, here's what happens. My bones, they wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. There is, maybe, you can, maybe you can relate to this. There is nothing heavier than the weight of guilt on a person's life. Maybe you've been there. I've been there. Nothing feels heavier. Nothing feels more destructive than, than, than really unconfessed sin. When we're unwilling to confess it, unwilling to, to uncover ourselves, unwilling to just kind of go through it. And the effects, it affects us physically. It affects us mentally. It affects us. And literally our bodies change as we, as we do this. It feels heavy. right? And we all feel guilt and we can't change that. You, you will never not feel guilt. Guilt is something that happens in life. You will feel guilt. You will feel like you failed. But we can change how we deal with it. We can change how we view it. We can change what we do with it. All right, we, can, we can shift blame. We can say it's not my fault. We can rationalize things. We can say it's, I didn't actually fail. We can numb ourselves we can just get really cynical of people. We can kind of just keep ourselves busy enough to, to not think about it. Right, we, can, we can do all kinds of stuff. But this scripture would say that the only thing that works is repentance. The only thing that works to get rid of this feeling of failure is, is repentance. It's giving it up to God. Repentance has power. I mean, think about this. Verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. He goes in verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I want, I want you to notice this with me. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin. I did not cover up my iniquity. But then go back to verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. He's saying, I didn't cover up my sin. Who's the one that covered up? God covered my sin when I uncovered my sin. 
When I gave my sin to God, he covered them up with his grace and his love and his kindness. God covers. There's a power in repentance when we're honest. And this is really what the pursuit of holiness is all about. It's uncovering the pieces of us that are not pursuing God. It's uncovering the parts of our lives that are not given to God and saying, God, I uncover this. Would you cover them up with your love? Would you cover them up with your grace? They are yours. I, I give them to you. This is the pursuit of holiness in a nutshell. What areas do we need to uncover so that God can cover them back up? See, worldly guilts would have us kind of stay in this spin cycle of just shame and despair and I'm not good enough, I'm a failure. See, this, that's, that's, this, that's this worldly guilt that leads to destruction. But godly, godly guilt, godly conviction, when it leads to repentance, it it's, doesn't just keep you in the spin cycle. It, it, it takes you out of that spin cycle and puts you into this deeper relationship with God, with the God who loves you and made you and created you. This is what it's all about. But here's the thing. If this is the case, then why don't we just always do it? If we know that as we repent, that as we uncover the parts of us that are not holy and God, let God cover those parts up, that we lead into a deeper relationship with God, why don't we do it more often? And honestly, I think we're a little bit scared. We're a little bit scared because what if my failures cause God to love me less? What if I've gone too far? What if the things I've done wrong are just too wrong? And what if God just decides he doesn't want me anymore? What if I've gone too far? And so we hesitate to open up and we hesitate to uncover our sins because we're just not sure. But, but here's the thing about God's love. Even in, even in this psalm, rejoice in the Lord, or, or sorry, verse 10. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. God is, God's love is an unfailing love. Even when we fail, God's love is unfailing. You cannot escape God's love. You cannot run away from God's love. You're surrounded by God's love. It's inescapable. Failure is not Failure, is not, failure does not take you away from that. Failure does not lessen God's love for you. Failure does not make God look at you in a different way. Failure is just an opportunity for you to uncover yourself and be covered in the love of God. What happens when we fail? What happens when we fail in our pursuit of holiness? Is failure is, I hesitate to say this, but failure is not, a, not necessarily a bad thing. Because each time you fail, if you can uncover it and confess it and give it to God and allow God to cover it up with his grace and his love and his kindness, then you become a little bit more like God each and every time. Now, Paul would say, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? No. But failure will come. 
What do we do when we fail? We confess. We repent. We turn it into to godly repentance, godly guilt, godly conviction. And don't let ourselves be torn down by a, by a worldly version of guilt or conviction or sorrow because that just keeps tearing you down and it will keep you down and hold you down. As the psalm says, my bones wasted away. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped. We get rid of the heaviness of this, this worldly guilt that just holds us down and we give it to God. And God covers our sin and he covers us with his grace and his unfailing love, which we can never escape. You are loved by God. And the pursuit of holiness is the pursuit of this God who loves you and who desires you to love him as well. This is holiness. What happens when we fail? We give it to God. We uncover it. And we allow him to cover it up for us with his grace and his love and his kindness. Failure will happen in your pursuit of holiness. You might even fail this week. Especially in that one thing that you choose to change. Because as you make a decision to make a change for God, spiritual warfare is a very real thing. Satan will come at you and say, did you really mean that? Did you really want to do that? Did you really think you could do that? You will face, you will face adversity. But know this, that if you fail, God is there, and God's unfailing love is there holding you up and covering you as long as you're willing to confess it and uncover yourself before him. God is good. God's love is unfailing. You can never escape it. Your failure leads you to a God with unfailing love. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we come every week to, to worship and to, to look into your word and to hear from you, God. And God, I just pray that, that as we go forward and as we, as we keep pursuing holiness, as we keep pursuing you, God, that you would just, you would guide us and direct us and be with us. And God, would you just make your presence known for us this week? That wherever we may find ourselves at work or at home or or wherever we are, God, in the car, the grocery store, would you just make yourself known to us and, and just, God, would you just encourage us and push us and guide us and direct us and, God, be in our conversations as we go forward, God, that we might live for you, that we might be more holy, that we might pursue holiness in a better way this week. God, we love you. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're new here, I'll ask you to do something kind of weird. I just want you to just hold your hands out and just receive a blessing from, from God this morning as you leave. May this God of grace and love and peace, the God of unfailing love, go with you, go ahead of you this week. May he guide you and direct you and convict you this week that you may change and be more holy as you pursue him. Go in peace, go in grace, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming.